Uh, this passage is about showing authority. I don't know if you picked it up uh, at the end. It said they were amazed that he had authority. There's a soldier who says, you know, I recognize that you've got authority like I have. There's a question about whether he has the authority to forgive sins. And authority is everywhere. Which I reckon when we're serious is actually a challenge for us. Because the word authority, I think, has lost its authority. Uh, we think about authority now, we're very, very quickly thinking about authoritarians. You know, you know who's got a lot of authority? Vladimir Putin. Uh, he has an, an enormous amount of authority. Uh, that African-American guy who tragically, just a few months ago, was severely beaten by that rogue kind of police group in the States, you think that is authority at its worst. Maybe today when we think about authority, we think about force and violence. Talking about authority can sometimes be the same as talking about repression or abuse of human rights. And all of us in one way or another have experienced authority in a way that causes us to react strongly. If you're someone who is, is, or is or has been in an armed forces family, is or has been in a police family, or someone who's a boss of something significant, you've probably experienced strong feelings of other people against your authority and felt that anger. Uh, there are those of us who have to put up with those little bits of authority that just kind of irritate us. You know where we feel like they just invent rules and for the sake of rules' sake and there's some kind of faceless civil servant who thought, I'll invent another form so they, they can't watch TV at night, they just have to fill it out. And we're not rioting, but also we're not really happy. Then there are some of you who have experienced authority and power in cruel and brutal ways that some of us have only read about. And today we've got a challenge, because Jesus is boldly and openly talking about himself as an authority. It's a challenge for us. What will we do with the power that Jesus has and what comes in response we see his power roll out uh, in lots of ways, but one of the main ways, particularly in this reading today, is through these series of miracles. The kind of power of the miraculous, the power of healing, the power of clearing out demons, and the most powerful thing of all that he will do. And I, I recognise just before I start that there are a group of people who, who kind of... Uh, kind of thinking, I just don't really believe, or I don't know if I can believe those miracles happened. Um, plenty of you have no problem with that. If you've got no problem with that, you can have a rest for a minute. I'll tell you when to come back. But others think, you know, I don't know about the miracles. Uh, so let me just for a minute just talk about those miracles. And, and I want to openly sort of sidestep it a bit, and here's why. Because in their day, the miracles weren't as big a deal for them as they are for us. Uh, it wasn't like Jesus was the first miracle worker they had experienced or heard about. 
Uh, you can look up Apollonius or Peregrinus. You can look up Alexander from, I'll try and get the name of the city right, uh, Anatychus. Um, but Alex, Alex was the miracle worker. Uh, if you're a retro person, you'll know Alex the kid in Miracle World. It's no accident that game was called that. Uh, he was a miracle worker of great renown. But the reason that the Christian person looks at Jesus' miracles differently is because of the resurrection. Uh, and when you're someone who believes that, that someone can come back from the dead, that someone who was once dead knows what's on the other side and is alive, and they understand the whole supernatural world, when you trust in the resurrection, the miracles for the Christian person can be a walk in the park. And so there's a sense in where if you find a problem with miracles today, I want to ask you to suspend your scepticism for a minute. And I just want you to notice what and who the miracles point to. I want you to notice who they're about and what they show us about Jesus more than anything else. And what they point to in the first instance, is that Jesus is building a kingdom of all kinds of people. That Jesus is a person who uses his power to kind of gather outsiders. Uh, we've seen that he's kind of this king of a kingdom. He's bringing a revolution. A revolution in verse 17 where he will, quoting Isaiah, bear their iniquities and take up their infirmities. And in these next little bits, he is dealing with people's iniquities and people's infirmities in kind of really particular ways. And the people we meet in chapter 8... They are three kinds of people you would not expect a Jewish person like Jesus to meet with. Three kinds of people that Jesus will gather as outsiders. Three kinds of people who reads like it often does in Jesus' ministry, almost like a Jewish joke. Because we'll see Jesus have a leper and a Gentile and a woman. A leper and a Gentile and a woman walk up to the Messiah. The people who are the lesser, the unclean, the outer in their culture. First up, the leper. He's got a skin disease. It could have been a skin disease of any number of things. But the, the big thing is in the religious life of Israel, it meant that they were on the outside, social outcasts. Uh, one of the big things they didn't get was kind of physical touch. And this, this leper is there in verse 8. Jesus comes down from the mountainside, his sermon on the mount. Large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Without any fuss, Jesus makes this outsider an insider and gives him exactly what he hasn't had, physical touch. Verse 3, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. He says, I am willing, he says. Be clean. Immediately the leper was cleansed of his leprosy. That's the leper gathered in. Then the centurion, the Roman soldier who's got a century, a hundred soldiers underneath him. He's not a Jewish person. He's a Gentile, another outsider. And if you're a long-term Jew, you're probably thinking at this moment, okay, I can feel the punchline coming because they were happy to call these people dogs. And this guy says to Jesus, can you heal my servant? 
And Jesus says, shall I come and heal him? Shall I go to your house? Centurion says to Jesus, I, I, know, I know about power, you just say a word. I know how authority works, I'm a soldier. Verse 8, the centurion replies, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go and he goes and that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does that. And Jesus sees in this outsider something that's been missing from his own people. An incredible belief in the authority of Jesus. And another outsider gets it. And Jesus says, this is a sign that many outsiders will come in. And those who thought they were part of the kingdom of God, those who thought they were the subjects but didn't put themselves under God's authority, they will be out. Verse 11, Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom of heaven will be thrown outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus gathers everyone, the lepers, the Gentiles, and finally a, a, a woman in the ones we'll look at today. It's a bizarre couple of sentences in verse 14 and 15. Uh, in a sense, you almost feel like they're an editing mistake because uh, if they weren't there, the story would not really be interrupted. But they are there. And, and Jesus does something with this woman who is in this outsider moment because in their culture, hospitality is massive. If you have someone come over to your house, you need to be able to get up and serve them and make them welcome them and bring them in. If you have the Messiah come to your house, guess what? You better do even better hospitality. And if you don't, there's great shame and great dishonor. And Jesus goes to this woman's house, one who's much lesser in their culture, in verse 14, it's Peter's house. He sees Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. She cannot do any hospitality. So Jesus touches her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to, to do hospitality, to, to wait on him. It's not some kind of misogynist sort of guy who just fixes someone so that they can get him dinner. He sees a woman in great dishonour who would otherwise be thought of as shamed, and he gives her a moment to be restored. Jesus is a kingdom king that gathers all kinds of people, lepers, the Gentiles, women, everyone they thought was an outcast, which is great that that he'll use his power to gather all kinds of people. It's, it's great for us, whether you're Jewish or not, which is particularly good, because I know that most of you are not Jewish. It's good for you. Whether you're on welfare or rich, Jesus is not calling a middle-upper-class Christianity. Anyone can be one of his followers. Whether you're young or old, whether you're smart or, or, or dumb, you're not a better Christian if you can read 80 books and understand deep things from history, although sometimes that's helpful for the rest of the church, but you don't, have, you don't need that to be a Christian. Whether you're Arab 
Indigenous, Anglo, Asian. Jesus invites every kind of person to gather into his kingdom. Back in Matthew, some of the disciples have seen Jesus' power kind of gathering and they do really want in. They don't want to be powerless anymore. Uh, They don't want to keep being powerless like they have with the Romans over them. Nobody, I think, likes feeling powerless. And I I was trying to think of a common theme for us where we feel powerless. And the only one I could come up with was any time you ring the call centre of a large business and try to get a decision made. That's when you feel powerless. I made the mistake of booking some of my mum's tickets through um, Agoda. Uh, Do not do it. Um, You know, you have the chatbot thing, first of all, where you get frustrated and start writing in caps, human, 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 nothing happens. Uh, I could not find a phone number until I, no joke, found like a PDF file somewhere in the back of their website and their base in Singapore. Eventually, I ring a number that's Australian. I get through to someone. I say, can I please talk to your supervisor? I got put through to the supervisor. Needless to say, there was a language barrier. Uh, I talk very fast. I don't know if you've noticed. And... um, Anyway, we, we don't have that money anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, this thing that comes next is you, the, these people who have experienced powerlessness, they see Jesus' power and they want in. And Jesus wants to say to them, I just want you to be clear the kind of power I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about a kind of power that might be very different to the power you expect One of the teachers of the law, a Jewish Bible expert, is wanting to say to Jesus, hey, listen, I'm with you, I'm in. And Jesus' reply to him is, great, if you're in, I want you to be really ready to kiss your dream house goodbye. Be ready for that. Verse 19, the teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, foxes have dens. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man, that's himself, has no place to lay his head. Whatever you've planned, if you're going to follow in my footsteps, he says, your whole life could be turned upside down. The house you've got, are you prepared to just let it go? Follow me and you could find yourself always sleeping rough. Then another disciple, he wants to join in on this powerful kingdom as well, but His dad has either died or is on the way to dying and very sick and stuff needs to be done. And shockingly, Jesus says, no, you can't go and help. Even though their strong cultural expectation, and ours as well, I think, was that you go back and take care of sick mum or dads. Jesus, in verse 21, faces up to this guy who says to Jesus, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus tells him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, that is incredible. Absolutely incredible. You know, we're not quite sure of the situation there. But regardless, the point is unchanged. It is equally shocking that Jesus is smashing their idea of what it will mean to be under his authority and to be part of his power. That's where the problem comes, I think, and Jesus knows it. 
that people will want to come with God, but we just have no idea what his power is going to do. Because there is a sense in where Jesus' power is going to destroy your life. You know, if the way it destroyed their lives was maybe they would lose their house, uh, plenty of them certainly lost their lives, lost friends and family. And if you're a high schooler or a young adult at the moment, I, I think there's a way where your life will be destroyed in some sense if you go all in with Jesus at the moment. And I think your life will be destroyed even if you openly talk about gender and sexuality and how your Christian faith interacts with that. You might not even be sure where you land yet. But even to have the discussion with peers, with people at uni or your apprenticeship or in that group, your life as you might want it to look could be destroyed. You'll find yourself on the outer, perhaps called an idiot or worse. You might have one or two Christian friends, but really it's nothing like the thriving young adulthood or youth you thought you could have had. Going with, all in with Jesus will run the risk of the life you might have thought of having being destroyed. There are lots of great things about being Christian, don't, don't get me wrong, but... I can see as I did that, uh, lots of the adults were nodding. Um, it's all right, I'll get to us in a minute. It's very strong language, though, isn't it? Destruction. Uh, and, and I use that strong language because I think Jesus keeps using it. Um, the third way we see him use his authority and power is in a way they've never seen or experienced in their authorities before. And it's his power to put away sin. Um, I'm going to go to the early verses in chapter 9, if you're still following along in the Bible. But you've got this amazing incident where Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And it is a big miracle, but I want us to look at what the miracle does. And it shows us what's at the center of the kingdom, what's at the center of the power that God is bringing. This paralyzed man is brought in and Jesus says in verse 2, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Now you think about that for a minute. In their culture, uh, they know that sins are only against the single God of the universe. And Jesus walks in and says, By the way, I know what sin is. I can see it in your heart. Uh, I'm going to forgive it, which means I think that I'm God. So Jesus walks into the room and put simply, says, I am God, and they are in many ways rightly not happy. But this is what Jesus' authority hangs on. His power to be able to forgive sin, or, or the word forgive is the same as the word to put away, to shut in the cupboard, to chuck out forever, to lock up. Can Jesus put away sin or not? And he says to these blokes, you know, what, I mean, what's easier, to make this guy walk or to forgive his sins? Jesus knows it's to forgive his sins, but he says, I'm going to make him walk so that you know I can forgive sins. 
And so he does in verse 5, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. Verse 6, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. You can imagine gladly, uh, walking with his sins forgiven. And Jesus' power is not what they have seen. His authority is not what the other authorities has done. Jesus has used his power to gather the outcasts rather than build a power base. Jesus has used his authority not to promise a dream life, but to turn lives upside down. And Jesus has used his power to say, I can put away sin for good. And he ultimately uses his authority to make even dying powerful as he dies on the cross to put away the sin of all those who trust him. To put away our sin of treating lightly the power and authority of the Son of God. Jesus is a king who uses his power to gather people and put away their sin. I'm on the way home here, but I've been talking about authority a lot. And I think it's worth noting there are some people for whom authority is awesome and power is something you actually really, really love. And I reckon as you get older, you both get more power and it's easier to love. People in my kind of peer group, um, we're middle-aged now, so most of us deal with it, uh, but you sort of, it creeps up on you and accidentally you're in charge of things. Uh, like not just adult things like paying electricity bills, but sometimes even people put children in your care without any qualifications. And then sometimes at work and stuff like that, suddenly you've got to supervise people. And as you get older, that power can grow and get bigger and it becomes generations or really big at work. And some of you know you have that power. And some of you love to use it. You tell the person to go and he goes. You tell that woman to come and she comes. You tell that person to do what you want them to do and they do it. Some of you have never said it, but your kids know that you have a lot of wealth. And if they don't do things the way you feel are right, they know that somehow you will cut them off. And whether or not you know it, some of you hang that power over their future like a sword. Some of you just love titles. Uh, your email signature is probably two sentences long. Are you ready or willing for all of that to be flipped off the table in order to be swept up in the kingdom that gathers outsiders? And puts away sin. You know, when I was first reading this passage, part of me also thought it was preaching to the choir because I think I have faith in Jesus. I do. Like, I actually really, I trust him. 
I have a great personal faith that he can put away my sin. And then I felt challenged when I read this quote about what does it actually mean to have faith? I read this quote from someone. Faith in Christian terms means believing precisely that the living God has entrusted his authority to Jesus himself who is now exercising it for the salvation of the world. Is your faith about following the authority of Jesus for the salvation of the world? It's a challenge, isn't it? Because that's Christian faith. Gospel faith. Caught up not just just in your personal salvation, which is awesome, but in the universal, eternal move to bring more and more people into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Jesus invites, commands us to put our plans aside to overthrow our lives. And I'm genuinely just about done. And all I want to say is this, that um, I was talking with the staff team the other day. As a preacher, as a Bible teacher, one thing you really want to do is land the sermon. You know, you want to finish strong and you really want to hit it. And you as listeners think, I don't want this to be boring at end. in the end. I want to walk away with something where I'm like, yeah, that's great. Or at least if I'm bad, I know exactly where. Um, you want to land it. And I... I was doing this talk and I thought I don't know how to land it Um, and maybe I actually don't want to Uh, because personally I I read about Jesus wanting to overthrow the plans of our lives and then I think honestly I look at my family and think gee what I I don't even know if we could live without two cars Uh, I don't think I've got a massive savings nest egg but I think I've got to hold the course and make sure that that's the right amount of money when my kids get out of school. I've got paint peeling off the sides of my house. The house was only painted a little while ago. I'm panicking about that and I'm thinking, I don't want this sermon to land because I feel like it just blows everything up. Do you want it to land? I don't think we can. Whilst we take the slow walk of faith to see the authority of the Lord Jesus shape our life, the reality is we need someone with the power to overthrow our inability to put away our sin and to put us together with others who are just having a go. And that's the God that we follow. A king who uses his power to gather people just like us and put away sin just like ours. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to acknowledge your power and authority. Thank you that you use it to gather people like us, that you use it to put away our sin forever on the cross. And so many of us do want to follow you, And we pray that by your spirit you would help us to take those risks, to trust your authority, to be prepared to have things flipped over, that we might be part of that great plan to see many saved, many of us honouring you, many of us delighting in you like that paralysed man who got up and walked away. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.